Good morning, Booker Tov. Thank you for joining us once again for our Parsha Perspectives for today. This week we have the privilege of studying and reviewing two Parshios together and extracting their lessons and their contemporary messages to inform our current times, as the Parsha always relates to and is relevant to what is happening in the current moment. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the entire series for the year. Becky and Avi Katz, our dear friends, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. Thank you to the Katzes, as always. I also want to thank my dear friends, Matthew and Tova Hackerman, who are sponsoring this morning's particular shear in commemoration of the third year site of their dear friend, David Lacks. May his neshama have a continued aliyah. Hackermans are good friends, remembering their dear friend, and we hope that David's neshama has an aliyah through the study of Torah this morning together. Okay, Parshas Nitzavim begins on the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Page 1086, 1086, and as I said, got a lot to get through because we have two parshios that we're going to cover this morning. And the parsha begins, You're standing today, Hayom, today, you're all standing before Hashem, and who is the all? The Torah then delineates, the Torah explicitly specifies who they are, the Rashechem, heads of your tribes, Ziknechem, the elders, Shotrechem, your officers, Tabchem, Neshechem, Gerchashem, Bekerav, Machanecha, your children, the women, uh, the converts, everybody, Mechotev, Eitzach, Achoev, Mimecha, there is so, no socioeconomic division or divide, no matter what, uh, no matter what socioeconomic class you are in, everybody is present today for this important for this important message. What is that message? Why is it that Moshe gathered everybody together? What was so critical? Everybody, all of you. Torah was given out in parts to different people at different times. Why is it all of a sudden so critical that kulchem, that everybody all together would need to be there? The Abar Benel has a very fascinating comment. My friend Mendy pointed it out to me. So the Abarbanel wonders, we don't find earlier, when the people enter a covenant, when Moshe Rabbeinu tells them, we are all bound together in one covenant, we all have a promise, we all have responsibility, accountability to the Almighty. He doesn't do it kulchem, the Torah doesn't specify that everybody is there, that every socioeconomic class is present. And yet, here, there is some message which specifically needs to be communicated in the context of kulchem. Everybody, with a description of all of the components, segments, and demographics of the community. Why? Why wonders Don Yitzchak Abarbanel? And the answer the Abarbanel says is because Moshe wanted them to enter this covenant. You know, on your journey the last 40 years, Moshe tells them, you've seen a lot. You've been exposed to a lot. And it might have impacted, it might have influenced you, it might have left an indelible impression on you. There are many wise and learned, intellectual, sophisticated people among you. So maybe the cynic will come. Maybe you'll sarcastically approach the covenant with Hashem, the observance of Torah and mitzvahs, and you're going to say, how do I know this is real? How do I know it's real? On our 40-year journey, we were exposed to and we learned about Mitzrayim and lived in Midian and Moab and Sichon and Og. There are all kinds of religions. How do I know this one's true? Maybe theirs is more accurate. Maybe theirs is more true. Maybe theirs is more authentic. How do I know? 
How do I know that God wants me to do this? How do I know this is really what God is asking? How do I know our God is the God? Says Moshe, with a wonderful model and paradigm, with a precedent of leadership, says the Ibar Benel, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I want full and complete transparency. You have any questions? You have any kashas? You have any challenges? You have any suspicions? You have any cynicism? Don't discuss it, Beseser. I don't want it whispered about at the water cooler. I don't want you talking about it in your backyard over the barbecue. I've gathered everybody. We're all here. We're not whispering behind one another's back. We're not making accusations, criticisms, or condemnations. We're not offering suspicion and cynicism and doubt. Here we are, kulchem, everybody gathered together as one. Anyone here has a problem? You have a question? Raise it now. Address it publicly. And let me debate it with you. And let me resolve any doubt. Let me clarify any confusion. Don't do it in the cloak, in the shadow. Do it here, do it now, do it in front of everybody. This is what it means. When it says you are standing, what does that mean? They didn't put out seats, no chairs, no couches, no benches. What does it mean you're all standing here today? Says the Abar the word standing is not describing a posture. It's not describing the way that they were, uh, the way that they were presenting themselves. You're all standing means that you're all erect, you're all standing before me in a vikuach. You're ready for a debate, you're ready for an argument. You're ready for full transparency. And he says, as an example, we have this when it comes to Dosan Baviram and others. So essentially, the Bar Benal says at the beginning of our Pasha, is the very first town hall meeting. Town hall meeting this past Sunday night, we had on Zoom a town hall meeting for members of our community. Any questions, any concerns, any constructive criticism, any desire to further understand our policies, how we got here, what we're doing, anything you want to know about where we're going or what's happening in the community. Moshe Rabbeinu creates a precedent. Moshe is the first one. Atem nitzavim, nitzavim is miloshon, his yatzvus is vikuach. Says Moshe, full transparency. What do you want to know? What doubts, what concerns, what uncertainties, what questions, raise them now, raise them here. I will address them publicly and we will be able to take them on. That is the approach of the Abar Benel at the beginning of our Pasha. The Chidush Arim says, What Hayom? Hayom. You're standing Hayom today. What is the Hayom? So the Heilaga of Chidush Arim, of Yitzchik Meir, of Ger, writes, you know what the Hayom that Atamitzavim Lefnei Hashem Kuchem? What's the today that you're all standing before God? The answer is Kuchem. Biyom bo tiyu Kuchem yachan meuchadim ba'achva benishloreiu v'lorak yechidim shabachem elorashechem shivtechem zeknechem v'shotrechem kol ish Yisrael. You know what the day is that you're standing before Hashem? Only when you are Kuchem. You want to truly be before the Almighty. You want an audience with Hashem. You cannot do it in an isolation. You cannot do it in a state of division. We can only do it in a state of kulchem. Kulchem. If you want your parents to visit, then get along with your siblings. If you want your parents' love and affection and generosity, then get along with your siblings. Kulchem. What is the hayom? Which is the t- 
today that you're Nitzavim Lefnei Hashem standing before God, only says the Chidusharim the day that you're Roshaychem Shivteychem Zikneychem Shotreychem Tapchem Neshechem Gercha Choteve Metza Shoyim. Only when you're all together, there is no demographic divide, no socioeconomic divide. There is no superiority. There is no division. There is no judgment. There is no criticism. Only the day that you're Kulchem. Only when we are united and together as one. That. That is when we are Nitzavim B'Fnei Hashem. That's when we truly are standing before Hashem. The Imrechaim echoes the sentiment. The Heilige Imrechaim, the great vision of Tzarebbe, writes on the next Pasuk, Pasuk Perch of Tes, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Not the next, but further down. V'lo itchem levadchem anochi kreis bris hazos ve'esa Allah hazos. Says the Torah, I'm not only creating this bris with you. V'lo itchem levadchem, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Not only with you, but rather those who are here, and those that are not here today. With everybody, I'm creating this bris. It's a bris that transcends time, it transcends space. Says the Imrechai in the vision of the Rebbe, Bizman she'atem levad, lo itchem levadchem. Bizman she'atem levad, lo mu'uchadim, eini kores itchem bris. Rake she'atem ba'ach v'vareyes mu'uchadim u'mulukadim. V'lo itchem levadchem, says Hashem. Lo itchem levadchem. When you're alone, when you're levad, when you're apart, when you're separate, distinct, in disagreement with others, I'm not koresa brisazos. Hashem says, you want this bris? You want this covenant? You want this special relationship? You want the bracha that will flow from it? Then you need to be not levadchem, not alone and apart and in isolation and divided. You need to be kulchem. So we have a choice. We're approaching the Yom Adin. And that's what others say, that Atem Yitzavim Hayom, Hayom is Rosh Hashanah. We're approaching the Yom Hadin. And when we come before the Almighty on Yom Hadin, we have a choice. And the choice is, are we Levadchem or are we Kulchem? Those are the options. Levadchem means I live alone. I do what's in it for me. I make my minion. I create my Rosh Hashanah. I make my Shabbos. I don't care about community. I don't care about shul. I don't care about the well-being of the greater sum of the parts. I don't connect. I don't invest. I don't give. I'm not a part of. I'm apart from. If we are levadchem, if we're in it for ourselves, if we're apart, if it's my way or the highway, we think we're better and greater, then we're not going to succeed or triumph, persevere on the Yom Adin, on the Hayom. So the opposite of the levad, lo itchem levadchem. If you're levadchem, Hashem doesn't want to bris. Hashem's not invested in us. But if we are at Kulchem, if we're Nitzavim Kulchem, if every segment and part and demographic, if we still create community, if we still create community, you'll allow me a momentary editorial comment. I've had several people reach out, not a lot, a few, who say, you know, I can't go to shul this year. So why should I pay membership? Why should I pay my membership? Why should I be part of the shul? I'm not talking about the Boca Raton Synagogue and Boca Raton. I'm talking about, I've spoken to colleagues across the country. And people say, you know, whatever my health condition, my secondary conditions, my vulnerability, I can't dive it indoor, outdoor, on the shul campus. I can't go to shul. Why should I pay membership? Why should I be a member? So since when does membership have to do with your ability to attend only? If you leave the country part of the year, if you take a vacation, you suspend your membership for those weeks. If you can't go visit your grandchildren, are you not their grandfather or grandmother right now during coronavirus because you can't visit them? Community is, is part of our very definition. Community is who we are. Community defines us. Community transcends the ability to congregate. I'm not saying if you're having a hard time financially, of course, every community should accommodate people. It's not about the money, but there's a value called community. And that's what these parshiyas are telling us over and over and over again. You want to be levadchem? If I can go, I pay. If I can't go, I don't pay. 
The kulchem, being part of community, is not about the ability to attend. It's about the shared values and the shared vision. It's about the commonalities. It's about when this is over, having a strong community that will be there for us when we need it. Are we levarchem or are we kulchem, which will determine the kind of yantif, the kind of Rosh Hashanah that we are going to have and the kind of consequence or the result of the judgment we'll experience on it. I want to look at an uh, insight from the Ishtamid, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk. We've been quoting a lot from his beautiful, beautiful Sfarim and the Parsha. And today again, we're going to quote several of his magnificent insights. In fact, they just came out, if you've been enjoying Rav Druk, our scroll just came out with an English translation of Rav Druk on the Machzer. He has a Sefer in Hebrew, but our scroll came out with it in English, which is Rav Druk on the Machzer. I want you not to read it because I'm going to quote a lot of things from it. But if you're, uh, if you're nevertheless wanted, it's really a beautiful, beautiful Sefer. So Rav Druk in his Eish Tamid, and the Parsha says the following, We have a redundancy. Why does the Parsha repeat? You're all standing? Everyone. What's the reason for the redundancy? What is the reason for the repetition? The Perak of Eshes Chayal, the very last chapter of Mishlei, that we sing on Friday nights, a tribute to the wonderful women, the Neshei Chayal of our lives, the um, Rashi explains it's all talking about the Torah Kedosha. It's really a love song. It's really affection that's being proclaimed to the Torah. It says there, Your home will not see snow, because your whole home is love Hashanim. And Rashi there, based on the Medrash Tanchuma, says, Now we're used to the description of Gehenim, as my kids would call it, H-E-double hockey sticks. We're used to the description of Gehenim as being a place of fire and brimstone, hot and burning, being consumed. That's Gehenim. Yet the Medrash Tanchum Rashi quotes it in Mishlei says, Gehenim is the Sheleg, Sheleg, Losir Levesa Mi Sheleg. The Gehenim is described as Sheleg. And what's the Chobes Lavashonim? Our whole house is wearing shanim shnayim. What protects us from the snow, from the ice, from the frigid cold of Gehenim? The whole home is lavush shanim, shanim shnayim. The double language. What's the double language? The Torah says, nason titain, pasoach tiftak, hanek tanik. All of these places in the Torah where the Torah describes where the Torah describes the mitzvah of giving tzedakah, the mitzvah of taking care of the vulnerable, I just lost my connection to Zoom. Hold on one moment. Unstable internet. Sorry, are you back? I had unstable internet. It says it's back. Did I lose you? Did I lose you? It said I had unstable internet. Are you back? You can see me. I don't know if it was describing the internet is unstable or the speaker is unstable. Or maybe a little bit of both. Okay, but we're back. So... What is the sheleg? What is the cold, the frigid, the ice of Gehenna? We're used to it being hot. And what does it mean that what protects us is the double, the shnayim? So it's the double language, the kefal, nason titain, pasoch tiftach, and so on. So says Rav Druk, what does this really all mean? What is this medrash really describing? Are we still on all our platforms? Are we still live here? Hopefully we are. Whoever's with us is with us. So he says the following. So the Shem Yishmuel, the great Sochot Shavarebbe, explains as follows. What does it mean, a Gehenim that's cold? The Gehenim that's cold is actually directly proportional, reciprocal, of the krirus of the cold with which we perform mitzvahs. 
זה גהנם קרא שנוצר על ידי עשיית מצווה שלא נובעות מרשבי של הבס אש קודש פנימיס, אלא רק בצורה חיצונית וקרירה. When you do מצווה, ice cold, there are relationships that have passion, that have fire, that have romance, there are relationships that are hot, and there are relationships that are ice cold. There are relationships that are frigid. There are people and personalities that are ice cold and that are frigid. So says Rav Druk, the type of Gehenim we experience could be the result or the punishment or the consequence for different mistakes. Maybe you burn in the fire of Gehenim because the passion and fire with which you pursued Averos. Or maybe you freeze in the freezing cold of Gehenim because of the cold and totally disaffected way in which you performed your mitzvahs. זה שמגיש התורה להוסיר לבייסו משולג, אין להסיירי מאוסו השלג של גהנם. So when the Torah says that להוסירה לבייסו משולג, that you don't have to worry about the cold of גהנם, why? מפני שכל בייסו לא ושונם, כל מעשה בכפילס, דבר שאדם עושה פעם אחת, הרי זה משום שמחויב הוא בו. ומאחר וכאן חובס הוא כאן והלך לו. דבר שעושה הוא בייס פעם בכפל. הרי שאם זה נובע על משום חביבוס העניין, אם כן, כל הדברים שעושים פעמיים זה מורק ימצו נאסיס מעומק הפנימיס. Something that you only do once, something that you minimally get away with, something that you mail in and do the bare minimum, you're doing out of a sense of obligation. It's cold, it's cold, it's dispassionate. You're just doing it because you have to. Your spouse, your child, your boss, Hashem, all of our boss told us to do it, check, mail it in, ice cold, I'm not present, I'm not mindful, I'm not passionate, I'm not excited, I'm not enthusiastic. Ice cold experience of mitzvos. Such an ice cold experience of mitzvos is going to land you in the frigid cold of Gehenim. But a person who does something twice, you come back again, you're not satisfied with the bare minimum, you're not enough to just mail it in, you want to get it right. You do it intensely, you do it with passion and enthusiasm, such a person will be spared the cold of Gehenim. By the way, again, we've, we've said this so many times, that this is what Amalek was trying to do to us. We read a few weeks ago in Kiseitzei, Asher Karcha Baderach, Amalek attacked us. And how did they attack us? What was the methodology of their attack against us? Asher Karcha Baderach, Milashan Kriris, Kor. We were on fire! We just came out of a schmooze, a shir, we just read a book, we had a conversation, experienced a kumzitz, saw a sunset, we were on fire! There's a Hashem and He loves us and we love Him. And you know what Amalek came along and they did? They poured a bucket of ice water. It wasn't the ice bucket challenge, they poured a bucket of ice water on our head, they cooled us off, they extinguished our fire. Asher korcha milashon kor. So there are people who walk around ice cold. Their personality is ice cold, their relationships are ice cold, their commitments are ice cold, their actions are ice cold, there's no passion, there's no enthusiasm in them. So what's the evidence of whether you're hot or cold, whether you get away with the bare minimum, or whether you go above and beyond, whether you're trying to do more? Says Rav Druk, based on the Sochet of the Shem Shmuel. We find this also in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. Shtet in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. Lama token, Rachmana Amar Taku. The Gemara says, why do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? To which, of course, you should all respond and say, what do you mean? Why do you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Hello, the Torah says you have to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. El alama mariyim, rachmana amar zichron trua. So why do we blow a trua? Because the Torah says, blow zichron trua. El alama token mariyim, kishen yoshim, token mariyim, kishen omdim. So the Gemara says, no, no, that wasn't the question. The Torah just says, blow the shofar. And the Torah says, blow a trua. But why do we blow sometimes standing and sometimes sitting? Or put differently, we blow... Before we begin the Shemona Esrei, and then we blow during the Chazar Sashats of Musaf. 
at least in ordinary years we do. Not all minyanim will be doing it this way, that way. So the Gemara answers, why do we blow twice in two different ways, in two different postures? Anyone know the answer? The Gemara says, cryptically, Oh, okay, that makes sense. To confuse the Satan. Uh, now I get it. Satan, who is he? Does he get confused? This is it? This is what throws him off? Because we blow standing, sitting, we blow before Masaf, during Masaf. What in the world's going on here? Rashi explains, you know what it means to confuse the Satan? When the Satan hears that we blow twice, he knows that we're not just trying to get away with the bare minimum. He knows that we're not mailing it in. He knows that it's not ice cold. We're on fire. We blow the shofar not once. We come back and we blow the shofar a second time. Before Musaf and during Musaf and after Musaf, we can't get enough of the cold shofar. We can't get enough of it awakening us and arousing us towards doing tshuva. But Tzarek Bir asked Mitzvos. Where do you see the Jewish people love mitzvahs because they blow the shofar? The answer is because we do it twice. When you do something twice, you know that we love it. And maybe this, based on the based on the Shem Ishmuel, the core, the cold of Gehenim is avoided. You don't have to wait for the snow. You don't have to worry that you're going to freeze in in uh, in Gehenim. You know, when my son was little, he used to like to go with Yecheved to Costco. And Costco has what he called the cold section, the walk-in fridge to get the the fruit or vegetables or whatever. And he would always hate to love or love to hate to go in there. It was his favorite part of going and he would hate it. It's ice cold. Oh, we got to get out of here. It's so cold and it's so cold. And that was this cute little shtick. So that's Gehenim for some, being locked in the cold room. It's the cold room forever. You can't get out and warm up. You're just locked into that cold room that walked in refrigerator permanently. You don't have to worry about the cold room of Gehenim. Why? When we do things the kiflayim, when we do things in double. Why? Because when you do it in double, you show that it's passionate, enthusiastic, it's on fire. And that's why we confuse the satan by blowing the shofar twice. What confuses him? When he sees our passion, he knows he has no chance to prosecute us. And by doing something double, that's when you show your real love of it. And based on this, Rav Druk says, Now we know why it appears twice in the Pasuk. And this is a uh, this is a reminder to us that when we do something double, when we do it twice, when we do it well, when we do it not just bare minimum, but we do it with pride. Okay, continuing. Continuing. Moving right along, we're going to do another piece in Rav Druk. Hey, continuing. So the parsha says the following. Perek Chavtes, Pasuk Tezvav. Skip ahead. Perek Chavtes, Pasuk Tezvav. Ketem yedatim es asher yashavnu be'eretz Mitzrayim, be'es asher avarnu be'kerv ha'goyim asher avartem. You know how you dwelled in the land of Egypt, and how we passed through the midst of the nations through whom we passed. Vateru ha'shikut sehem es gilulehem. You saw you were exposed to. Maybe you even experimented or tried with their abominations and detestable idols. They're made of wood and stone, the silver and gold that are with them. Maybe among you there is a man or a woman or a family or a tribe who's turning away from Hashem. You're going to serve those deities, those false gods. Maybe among you there's a root flourishing with gall and wormroot. Maybe, maybe there's corruption. Maybe there's contamination. 
when you hear this, and so on and so forth. Says Rashi, Again, we're on page 1086, chapter 29, verse 14. I'm speaking quickly, even more quickly today, because we've got a lot of double parsha, so you got to speak in double speed. And those who are listening to this in double speed are really listening to it in quadruple speed. With the generations that are coming, I'm sorry, Pasuk Tezvav, verse 15. You saw, you saw, they were musim kishkatsim. They were disgusting. They were despicable. They were repulsive. So wonders, wonders the brisker rav hikshemar and hagriz. The brisker rav wonders meachar v'roes avodazara shi meusa. So I don't understand. Moshe Rabbeinu right now says, look. And this was the inside of the Abar Benel, right? The first town hall meeting. Moshe Rabbeinu says, look, we've passed through a lot of other societies. We've been exposed to a lot of other ideologies. You have seen, you've learned, maybe you've even watched or you've participated in other forms of idolatry. Don't be impacted. Don't be influenced. Be above it. And if you have any questions on ours, if you want to uh, question the authenticity of Torah and Hashem of mitzvahs, bring it up now. That's how the Abar Benel understood. Ask the, ask the Grizz, the Briskarov, one second. What's the problem? So Moshe says, you've seen shikutsehem and gilulehem. The word shikutsehem is like a shegetz. It's like shkutz. Shikutsehem means something repulsive, lowly, despicable, repulsive. So I don't understand. Ask the briskarov if they saw it and experienced it as being disgusting and repulsive, why in the world would they be drawn to it? Why do they have to be warned, don't go near it? Don't go near it. Why would we suspect, why would we be worried that anyone would actually want to worship? Who is the person that's drawn to something that we know is repulsive, disgusting, reprehensible, abominable? So Amar HaGriz, so the Briskarov answers, Uah, a very, very important foundational insight. Listen carefully. When you see something despicable, abominable, repulsive, no matter how much of a turnoff it is, it leaves an impression. It leaves an indelible impression in your mind, in your imagination, in your world of wonder in your world of fantasy. Maybe you're repulsed by it. You know, I, I would almost say it's like, you know the, the expression of the phrase that you couldn't turn away from the car accident? You couldn't not look? You could have something which is gruesome, and yet you can't not look. And even when a person is exposed to or sees something which is repulsive, or which is wrong, or which turns them off, or to which they are opposed, nevertheless, simply being exposed to it, simply seeing it, it it burns an indelible impression in our mind and in our memory. And now it becomes a part of a reality that we have to confront. Don't minimize what you see with your eyes. Because what you see with your eyes impresses itself in your heart. It has a deep, deep, indelible impression in you. And it's hard to overcome. We know this in the world of, of things, of things that people watch, that are very hard to overcome. You know, there's, um, um, I'll just say it, Bederich Remiza, but there's a new diagnosis called porn-induced ED. There are dysfunctions 
that are the result of what one's eyes sees. Because what one's eyes sees has an impact on a person's heart and a person's uh, behavior. And even something that you see which is repulsive and disgusting, nevertheless can become part of the imagination. It's an image which is now part of a person's reality, which is now part of a person's reality. And what's another example? So that was the inside of the Grizz of the Briska Rav. Rav Druk applies this to another area. It's a famous word that we've shared in another context, in Parshas Nasa, where this appears, where we see it with the Nazir. The Gemara wonders, why is Parshas Sota, Parshas Nazir, why are they adjacent? Why are they juxtaposed one to the other? Lama Nismacha Parshas Nazir, Parshas Sota, because Kalara Sota Bekukula Yazir Atzmamanayayin. What happens to the Sota? The wayward woman who has infidelity, the woman who cheats on her husband and she drinks the Mayim Arim, what happens? If she's innocent, she's blessed. If she's innocent, she receives beautiful blessing. But what happens if, in fact, she's guilty? She dies a horrific and graphic death. So the Gemara says, if someone sees that, your neighbor is accused of being a sota. She's litigated and prosecuted and found to be guilty. The Mayim Ma'arim exposes her that she's guilty. And she dies a graphic, horrific death. And you know about it, you watch it, you read it, you're there, you're present, you witness, you testify to it. You need to immediately, immediately, you better take a vow not to drink wine. Why? Because you see a sota bikukula. When you see the sota, you have to be careful. You see, you see what alcohol and you see what partying and frivolity could lead to. You need to distance yourself from it. So there too, many wonder, I don't understand. I don't understand. If anyone doesn't need to take a vow of abstinence from wine, it's the person who witnessed what happens to the sota. When you see her conclusion, when you see a consequence, what happens to her, you'll never, ever come close to that behavior. So why do you need to be the one to take this vow not to drink? So again, you see the very same idea. You see the same idea. It's so powerful. You're right. When you see what happens to the sota, you say, I'm not going to do that. You see the indignity that happens to, to Elliot Spitz or to Tiger Woods or to countless public people who were caught with infidelity, you say, you know what? I don't want to throw away my marriage, my children, my parnasa, my life, my honor, my dignity, on the one hand. On the other hand, you say, I guess having an affair is not just a theoretical thing. There are people who've done it. It becomes real. You're now exposed to it, to the point that, you're right, a person needs to do something to offset, to off-balance, to negate, or to overcome that indelible impression in their imagination. And that's why. And so the same is true over here. He then says the same word applies to the mitzvah of Tochacha. Pashas Kedoshim, we have a Pasuk that tells us, When you see someone doing something wrong, we have an obligation. Gently, appropriately, sensitively, judiciously, to rebuke them, to rebuke them. So why is it the double language? Why is it twice? So if Druk suggests, based on everything he just said, once to the person, and once to yourself. If you see someone doing something wrong, on the one hand, you have to help them. On the other hand, the fact that you saw them means you yourself need to do something also to be able to grow from it and not to be impacted and affected by it. If you saw Salanter, when he saw somebody if he ever witnessed somebody being he would stop and pause and analyze and ask himself why he saw it, what he was meant to learn from it, how he was meant to grow from it, what he needed to do in order to increase his, his 
respect and honor of Shabbos since he witnessed the desecration of, of Shabbos. So you see this theme, this notion that we are impacted by what we see, and therefore, even though it's defined as shikutzehem and gilulechem, even though this idolatry was repulsive and despicable and abhorrent, nevertheless, they had to do something to not be attracted to it because it leaves an impression and it creates an image and possibly even a fantasy which could have a negative impact on us. Okay, the Torah continues. I want to get into some Rishonim. Let's go back to Armakros Gedolos. The Torah continues with this fascinating string of Psukim. Perak Lamed. We're on page 1090 in the Art Scroll Stone Chomish now. 1090. And the Parsha now continues as follows. Now continues as follows. The Pasuk before, Hanistaros Lashem Elokeinu, top of page 1090. Hanistaros Lashem Elokeinu, that which is hidden belong to God. And what's revealed is really all about us. I would say if there's a Pasuk that I'm going to launch my Shabbat Shuvah about this year, it's this one. The theme of our Shabbat Shuvah this year, which we're just getting started on, is um, you are what you do. That's the theme of our, our Shabbat Shuvah You know, many people like to think that they're a tzaddik in their heart. I know my actions. I know if you were to look at me. I know if you were to measure by what I do, you think of me one way. You should know, though, in my heart, I'm a chassid, I'm a tzaddik. In my heart, I'm this, I'm that, and the other. Well, newsflash. You are not in your heart. You are what you do. God knows what's in your heart. But the way we interact with you, what we know of you, what we think of you, who you are to us, is not what's inside you. It's what's outside you. It's who you are, how you behave. It's the niglos. We'll talk more about that on Motzei Shabbat We're going to broadcast the Shabbat Shuvah uh, and, uh, and you'll be able to either come live in person or be able to watch it afterwards, but it will be based on and launched by this Pasuk. But it's the next series of Pesukim that I want to look at with you. And it'll be when these things come upon you, the blessing, the curse I presented to you. You're going to put it in your heart. Wherever you are and among whomever you're dispersed, you're going to put these messages in your heart. There'll be an awakening. This is such a beautiful passage. And we hope and pray that it's happening in our time. A mass awakening, a yearning. There's an ache and an emptiness that leads people to search and to yearn and to explore and to return to their roots. Tshuva means to return, to return to the Judaism. And that's exactly what the Parsha tells us is going to happen. You're going to return to God. You're going to listen to His voice like everything I'm telling you today. You and your progeny, with all your heart, with all your soul. And Hashem is going to bring you back from your captivity. So you're going to be spread and dispersed among the nations. Something is going to inspire you to look at your life. There'll be a mass tshuva movement. When you do come back, He will bring you back. He will gather you in from those exiles. If you dispersed, will be at the ends of heaven. Hashem will gather, He'll take you in. He's going to take you to the land that He promised you and you will inherit it. And he will do good to you, and he will make you numerous, more numerous than your forefathers. Now, he's going to circumcise, peel back the layer over your heart, and the heart of your progeny. So you can love God. I don't understand. This is the question I want to look at with you. 
The sequence of Sukkim here, I don't understand. We're dispersed among the nations, but there's going to be something that awakens us to do tshuva. And we're going to come back, and we're going to repair, and we're going to change our lives, and we will prove worthy that God will bring us back. He will accept our tshuva. V'shavta Hashem lokecha and v'shav Hashem lokecha. Both ways, we're coming back. We make the move, He reciprocates, we draw close, we're coming home. We're coming home. So what layer is there still over our heart? What needs to be peeled away? I don't understand. What is the Umal Hashem Elokechas Levavcha? I lost the Pasek. Umal Hashem Elokechas Levavcha Ve'es Levav Zarecha. Es Levavcha Ve'es Levav. Some say that's the acronym for Elul. When is it that we peel off the layers of our heart? Elul, Ani Ladodi Vedodi Li, Ish Lurei Matanas Le'avyonim. Es Levavcha Ve'es Levav. In this month of Elul is when we're working to peel off those layers. Why are there still layers blocking my heart? Why, do I need my, why does my heart need a mila, circumcision? What is circumcision? What is a bris mila? It removes a foreskin. It removes something covering. There's a cover on my heart. My heart's not able to properly feel, experience. Why? I thought already we did v'shav tarshem lakecha. V'nasam tarshem lakecha is kolal za'ila levecha, sonecha sherdavucha, v'yata tashuv, and then you're going to do tshuva, and you're going to hear Hashem. Why am I only doing tshuva in Pasuk Ches? I thought I already did tshuva in Pasuk Beis. What's going on? Does this bother any of you? Or is it just bothering me? Okay, either way, we'll look at what the Mepharshim have to say. Start with the Ramban. Ramperak Lamad Pasuk Aleph. So the Ramban says the following. What in the world is going on here in these Pesukim? What's going on over here? So the Ramban says... This entire section has not yet happened. This is not a description of history or destiny. It has not yet occurred. This whole thing is something that has not yet happened. Says the Ramban, You're going to return to Hashem with all your heart and all your soul. And Hashem is going to accept our tshuva. As He did with the second Geula. And he quotes a pasuk in Nehemiah. Now go to the next pasuk vav. So what's malashem lokecha? Zayusha omer habal atar misayin oso. Mavticha shetasha beilav bechol levavcha vuhu yazor oscha. You know what happens at the beginning is the first gesture we do of tshuva. We take the first baby steps, the first incremental change, and when we make that first move, when we show what we want, Hashem opens a path in front of us. He makes it easy. He expedites it. He helps us. He lifts us. He accelerates it. We have free will. We have choice. We can repair. We can make change. So right now, good and bad present themselves equally to us. Right now we're confronted by our free will to shape and to mold who we are and who we want to become. But in Yemosa Mashiach, in the eschatological era, in the time of redemption when Mashiach comes, natural instinct and the natural inclination will be to do good. So Vishafta. The first time we're coming back, says the Ramban, is right now, before Mashiach. When we're doing tshuva, we're making the effort. The formula of the Rambam. We have regret, we confess, we make a pledge not to do it again in the future. But you know what? Our heart is still struggling. Our heart still exists with tension. 
our heart still is tempted by temptation. In Yemosa Mashiach, when Mashiach comes and Hashem is revealed, then the heart won't even have temptation. The heart won't have as a default an inclination or a distraction. And then, then, it'll peel off, it'll peel off the layer, the blockage of the heart. So what is this a description of peeling off the layer of the heart? It's a description, says the Ramban, of Yemosa Mashiach. When we return and we will go back to the way it was before the chait of Adam Arishon. So that is how the, that is how the um, Ramban understands this series of psukim, the chronology of the psukim. There are different stages of the tshuva movement. There's the stage where we make an effort, but we're not yet there. And then Hashem reciprocates and removes even the inclination. And that's umaltamus levavchem. Hinei yamim bo'im. That's describing in Yemos Mashiach the way it's going to be. The Orachayim HaKadosh has a different understanding of these psukim. The Orachayim HaKadosh understands that it's all describing tshuva. Not Yemos Mashiach. These are not stages in this world and then in the time of Mashiach. It's all describing what's happening now. It's all describing what's happening now. It's a long orachayim. You have to look at each of these pieces separately, which we don't have time to do. But just look at the part where he says, Once we already said that we're going to return to Hashem, what are we adding with Umal Tamas What are we adding or changing when we talk about peeling off the layer of the heart? And then it says, you're going to return. I thought, Vashavta, I thought we already returned. What is it? And what's going on? What's going on here? So, there are three stages, three levels of our commitment, of our devotion, of our growth to Hashem, and they include, says the Orachayim, number one, occupying ourselves with Torah, that Torah informs and inspires our lives. Number two, therefore we refrain and we abstain and we avoid violating the negative commandments. And number three, we with zeal and passion run to fulfill the positive ones. So the first step of tshuva is a recommitment to the study of Torah. I'm preaching to the choir here, listening to the shir. But to make time to learn, to study, to immerse ourselves in Torah. We're going to get to very soon a beautiful description of Rabbi Salavechik of immersing ourselves fully in Torah. So the first step of tshuva is immersing ourselves in Torah. And that's why Vishavta includes the words Vishamata Bekolo to hear Hashem's voice. Where do you hear His voice? Where does God speak to us when we learn Torah? It's been said by many. When we daven, it's us talking to Hashem. When we learn, it's Hashem talking to us. Davening is us talking to God. Learning Torah is God talking to us. Vishamata bekolo says the Orachayim. That's this pasuk. Vishamata bekolo. You want to hear God talk to you? You want Him to tell you what to do? You want Him to tell you what He's thinking? Open a sefer. Turn on a shear. Learn Torah. Learning Torah is God talking to us. That is the first step or first stage of tshuva. That's why vishavta vishamata bekolo. And then, and then, we're going to peel off the layer of our heart. The heart yearns for bad. 
That is the layer over the heart. Peeling off the layer of the heart is the second stage of tshuva, which is the commitment to abstain, refrain, be more vigilant in our observance of los asay. And then, keneged kiyu mitzvahs asay, the third stage, which is the passion for positive commandments, it says viata tashuv. So the Ramban has his understanding of how to understand this unfolding your chronology of the Psukim. The Rechaim has his. I refer you and encourage you to look at the Kliyakar who has his. But if nothing else, when you're learning the Parsha, when you're listening to the Parsha, please God, we all have the ability to listen to the Parsha in Shul. When you're listening to the Parsha, don't listen passively. Think critically. Try to look and ask questions. The Mepharsham are all asking this question. I don't understand. How does it make sense? First you said, Vashivos Vashavta. If the shafta, why later, later is it umal? It doesn't make any sense. Why mal after the fact? So what's going on here? The Rechaim, the Ramban, the Kleyakar, and others all address this. Okay, let's keep going. The Parsha then says, how much more time do we have? What can we get to? Okay, mitzvah zos. Perak Lamed Pasuk Famous Pasuk. Famous Pasuk. We spoke about this in the afternoon kola last week. Because last week we talked about the mitzvah of confession. I guess we alluded to it in the Parsha class also. Because Kisavo, the vidoy meiser, confession. And we saw that the Ramban understands that's, how this, that's what this Pasuk means. I don't want to focus on the Ramban. Bottom of page 1090, 1090, the Arts Cross Last word, Ki. This mitzvah that I command you today, it's not hidden from you, and it's not distant. This mitzvah, it's not far away. It's not inaccessible. It's not out of your reach. You have it. You got it. You can grasp it. Where is it? It's right in front of you. It's not in the heavens. It's not opposite the sea. It's right in front of you. Where? It's in your mouth. It's right there. It's right in front of you. Now, in the past, we focused on the Ramban's understanding, which we're not going to do right now. The Ramban's understanding is, what is the mitzvah? This is very cryptic. Kia mitzvah hazos. The mitzvah. It's not far away. It's not in the heavens, not on the other side of the sea. It's right in front of you. What is the mitzvah? What is the mitzvah? The Ramban says, what's a mitzvah that's befichel, that's in your mouth? The mitzvah that's in your mouth is vidui, confession, tshuva. Tshuva we do with the mouth, tshuva we do with vidui, we enunciate, we articulate, we have to say so that we can bring into this world and confront it, that we can address it and we can improve it. That is the Ramban. But I want to take another look back at Rashi. Rashi says, which is the mitzvah, ki mitzvah hazos? Rashi says, which is the mitzvah of the ki mitzvah hazos? Rashi says, the mitzvah is, where is it? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where is it? The open here in front of me. Ki ha-mitzvah hazos. Says Rashi, Ki karavei lecha. Pesach Yedalad. Ha-Torah nitna lachem b'ksav u-ba-peh. You know what the mitzvah hazos is that the Torah is talking about? The Torah. Says Rashi, we're talking about the Torah. The Torah is not far away from you. Despite the distance that separates us from Hashem, Hashem is far away and we can't fully comprehend and we don't see Him and we can't feel Him. We don't hear him. But nevertheless, don't think it's in the heavens. Don't think it's on the other side of the sea. The mitzvahs, the Torah, this ideology, this way of life, this value system, this prescription and formula for how to live, they're given to us. They're for our body. They inform our guf, not our neshama. 
The Aseris Adibras begin with Anochi Hashem, and they end with refraining from killing adultery and coveting. Why? Because the Torah is supposed to inform and penetrate every area of our life and our living. It's not describing a utopian society, it's not describing a world for our souls, it's describing how to live and how to operate in a world of our bodies, in the physical, physical world. In the physical world. The Kuzari says maybe that's why the Torah does not explicitly tell us about the next world. It's an age-old question. The Torah tells me about so much. The Torah is supposed to tell me about everything about life. Why doesn't the Torah explicitly reference the world to come? Why doesn't the Torah explicitly tell me about what will happen in Olam Abba? Iker chaser menasefer. Where is that important message? Where is that important instruction? Says the Kuzari, you know why? You know why? Because the purpose is this world. We don't observe Torah for the next world. We observe Torah because it informs and inspires, it elevates and enriches in this world. In this world. That's why we have the Torah. So there is no emphasis and there is no focus. And don't do it for the next world. Do it for the here and now because it will teach us the best way to live. It gives us the best prescription and the formula for life. The formula for life. It's why we're here. And that's what Rashi is saying. It's not far away and it's not inaccessible. It is right in front of you. It's right under our nose. It's in our mouth and it's in our heart because it's supposed to inspire us in this world. It's not all about aiming and aspiring for that next world, for that world to, for that world to come. The Eish Tamid, Rav Druk, also has a beautiful comment on this. And Rav Druk says the following. Rav Druk says, what does it mean? So he says the following. Really beautiful insight. Oh, what does it mean? It's not in the heavens. It's not on the other side of the sea. Don't worry. It's right here. It's right there. It's right accessible. You can have it. What's the imagery of Loba Shamayim? What is it trying to tell us it's not in the heavens? What is the image of Loba Shamayim? So Rav Druk suggests the following. We know that when the people messed up, when they made a mistake previously, Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he saw the Chet Egel. He saw that we made a mistake, a miscalculation. And what did he do? He smashed, he broke, he destroyed the Luchos. He broke the Luchos, he broke the tablets. That's how Moshe reacted, that's what needed to happen. And then what happened? When it was time for the repair, the correction, Hashem invited him and said, come back on top of the mountain and I'll give you the second set. Come ascend back to the Shamayim and I'll give you that second set of the Luchos. So therefore, suggestor of Druk, maybe, Lo Bashamayim he, don't think that when you make a mistake, the only way to make it better is like Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to have to tr- ascend, you're going to have to go up, you're going to have to make it to the Shamayim. Lo Bashamayim he, this mitzvah of tshuva, this mitzvah of repair and correction, it's Lo Bashamayim. You don't have to be a Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't have to ascend to the heavens. It's Beficha Uvilvavcha, it's down here on earth. It's right here. You don't need a Moshe Rabbeinu, and you don't need to be a Moshe Rabbeinu, and you don't need to go to Bashamayim. It's right here. It's right now. It's Beficha Uvelvavcha. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Every one of us can. All of us have the opportunity to be able to do it. Let's go to Parsha Vayelech. There's a lot more to talk about. We'll have to come back to it in a future year, but let's go to Parsha's Vayelech. Because it's a double Parsha, and I want to get in a little bit of Vayelech. Lamanal of Yutes. Page. 1096, chapter 31, verse 19. This is the last mitzvah of the whole Torah. The final mitzvah, number 613 of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu says, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel, place it in their mouth. 
So this song will be a witness against the children of Israel. This is the 613 mitzvah of the commandment on every Jew to write a Sefer Torah. We've discussed in the past, we're not going to get into it now, but what is the nature of this mitzvah? The obligation that we have to write a Sefer Torah. Can you fulfill the mitzvah if you inherit a Sefer Torah? Can you fulfill the mitzvah if you buy a already written Sefer Torah? Can you fulfill the mitzvah if you purchase a letter, a sentence, a parsha in the Sefer Torah? Can you fulfill the mitzvah if you donate the Sefer Torah? There's a lot of discussion about the parameters, exactly how you fulfill this mitzvah. This is the mitzvah. The Rush, the Rush, and it's quoted in the, by the tour, famously says that today we fulfill this mitzvah by buying svarim. When you buy svarim and you populate your home with Torah texts, you fulfill this mitzvah of Yatakis Vilachem Es Ashira Hazos. Now, the Chavetz Chaim al Torah has a very interesting insight. Chavetz Chaim al Torah, I thank my dear friend Rabbi Mirza who shared this with me. Chavetz Chaim al Torah says the following. Look at the Pesukim that come right before, right before the obligation or the commandment to write a Sefer Torah, the Torah warns us that if we misbehave and if we're disobedient, Hashem will hide Himself from us. I'm going to hide from you. Hester Panim, this expression, when God is hidden, periods of Hester Panim, of God's hiddenness from us. The Chavetz Chaim says, why, why right after a description or a warning of Hashem's hiddenness, right after it, we have the commandment to write a Sefer Torah, what is the connection between the two? Says the Chavetz Chaim, that this mitzvah comes right after the Pasuk, that Hashem will hide, to teach us that even in times of darkness and destruction, even in times of concealment, Torah is what's going to give us light, comfort, and consolation. You might think in a period of Hester Panim, I can't find Hashem, I don't feel close to Him. I don't see Him, He's not accessible to me. We're, we're blocked by a period of darkness. Even or especially in a period of darkness, there is a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah, to be informed and inspired by Torah, to mold and craft your life based on, based on Torah. The Imre Chaim has a different insult, insight. Listen to the Imre Chaim. Listen to the Vishnitzer. He says the following. Meaning, What does it mean? Write the Sefer Torah and put it in your mouth. Your mouth is a description of the place where you engage in that which is permissible. And in the area of Rishus, in the food, and how you eat, and how you conduct business. A person has to be especially scrupulous and careful. Why are we writing this whole Torah? We're writing it. So Lamantia Torah Hashem Beficha. So the Torah will be written in our mouth. Asher Torah Hashem Zayaspik Lahayda Lav Shanana Minamutar. Velobona. How do we know that you're honest and scrupulous if Torah informs your life? If you have a loyalty and a fidelity to Torah, then you'll carry yourself with a certain dignity and a certain honesty and a certain integrity. Put it in their mouth. Naki With your mouth. Don't gossip or slander. Don't exaggerate or distort. Don't cheat or steal. What does it mean, la'ad? So it will be la'ad b'nei Yisrael. 
says the vision of Tzolaad means le'edus al ne'emonos. And it says, I'll testify. If you learn Torah, Torah becomes an adornment. Torah becomes something that you wear. Torah becomes something that, uh, that testifies. La'ad, le'ed, le'edus. The Torah that you learn will testify to not only being a person who learned Torah, but being a ben Torah or a bas Torah. The Torah has molded your personality. The Torah has made you who you are. Beautiful insight of the vision of Tzarebbe. But I want to end with the insight of Rabbi Salavechik on this Pasuk. All right, there's a lot we left out. Oh, okay. But Rabbi Salavechik wonders the following. When the Torah gives us this 613th commandment, the final mitzvah of the Torah, that we have to write a Sefer Torah, the Torah likens the Torah to what? The Atta, and now, kiss v'lachem, write for yourselves, S. It doesn't say write for yourselves, es Torah hazos, write this Torah. It doesn't say write this poetry or prose. It doesn't say write this lecture. It doesn't say write, what does it say? How does it characterize or capture what Torah is? Viata kisvilachem, write for yourself, es hashira hazos. Torah is likened to a song. Why is Torah likened to a song? Es hashira hazos. So listen to the words of the Rav and the Oyu Rav Chamesh. Based on these words, the Rambam in Hilchah Sefer Torah rules that one must commit to writing not only the Song of Hazina but all five books of Moshe. Write the Torah that contains this song. In fact, the whole Torah is called Shira. What's the linkage between Torah and song? Says the Rav. The process of learning is an intellectual performance. Singing is an emotional performance. The aesthetic experience, the artistic experience is more dynamic than the intellectual one. The intellectual experience can often be dreary, anemic. The aesthetic experience is dynamic. Hypnotic, it fascinates, arouses passion, has the power of awakening, hidden desires and aspirations. Music is the most powerful means to arouse men. It shares with the religious experience the tremor and excitement, the longing, the joy one feels when confronted with something exalted, beautiful, and sublime. If the intellectual experience would consistently engage the emotions like music does, all students would excel, and teachers would have no trouble in the classroom. It is therefore not surprising that the organ was introduced in the house of worship. The aesthetic musical experience is a total one, the whole of man is immersed in it. The same should be true, writes the Rav of Talmud Torah. The teacher is the Almighty, and through study we meet the great teacher. We sit at his feet to listen to him eagerly. The experience of Talmud Torah is total, all comprehensive, all penetrating. It is a mystical experience. It is the melody with which, which was once sung by the Shulamit of the Song of Songs when she was yearning for her beloved. Chazal sternly rebuke a person who is guilty of forgetting even a single word of Torah. The severe penalty is due to the fact that forgetting is the result of limited involvement. If the study of Torah had been a total experience, it could never be forgotten. If one learns only with his mind, he is apt to forget. If there is a total absorption, the mind stimulated, the heartbeat accelerated, the imagination fired, the emotions awaken, the Talmud Torah turns into a beautiful melody, which can never be forgotten. Isn't this such a beautiful description? Song moves you emotionally. Song transports you to another place and another time. Song stirs the soul. It evokes the emotion. It makes you cry. Talmud Torah, Torah is likened to a song because we're supposed to be fully immersed and engaged in it. It's supposed to stimulate that same range of emotions. It's supposed to indelibly impress itself and last upon us like a song, like music that transports and that moves us. Not just speak to our head, but speak to our heart. And the Rav concludes, and let me just inject again what Talmud Torah meant to me during those bleak and dreary years which have taken their toll in terms of mental agony, loneliness, and desolation. The fact that I have survived intellectually and emotionally during the bleak years of mourning, mental agony, loneliness, and desolation is only due to my commitment to Torah. 
My commitment to Torah is a total one, says the Rav. I have one love. This is Torah. I'm not a mystic, yet while studying the Gemara, I always feel that someone is with me, that a mysterious friend, teacher, companion watches over me. If Talmud Torah were just an intellectual performance, I would not have experienced the unseen presence of the teacher. The idea of Hashem being the teacher changes the whole concept of learning and studying. Study of Torah is not a mere intellectual performance consisting of formal comprehension, comprehension, Rather, an experience of a cathartic, redemptive, and mystical nature which overwhelms man with vigor and ecstasy which sinks into the deepest recesses of his personality. Tamatora can only be understood within the mystical frame of reference. Learning is simply a dialogue, a colloquy between God and man, between an all-wise teacher and an all-ignorant pupil. What a description, what a personal description the Rav has, and I leave it with you, that our learning of Torah should not be dry and sterile, but, and this is, I think, the mission of Mechanchem, teachers to our children, it has to be alive and awake and vibrant and dynamic. It has to sing like a song that we are fully immersed in. Thank you for joining. Thank you for our sponsors. Thank you to those who sent in notes from the Parsha class. I ask again, if you take notes, please consider sending them to me again. They're in a 